That's the word he used. Sensitive. Uh, I'm going to use illegal, because that's what it was when you hacked into my computer. And I'm not going to do anything about that. I could, but I won't. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story, and if it entertains you, maybe you'll decide to help me research further. And if not, I'll do the washing up, and you'll never see me again. You know, you should eat that. What kind of research? Elizabeth. Oh, can I call you Elizabeth? I want you to help me catch a killer of women. Welcome back, everyone. After a long interrupted break, we're back with Novel Ideas of the Illiterati. I have a good friend with me, James. Hi. Because we have been ranking so well in New Zealand, we thought we'd bring on an actual Kiwi. <laughs> yes, I am the number one, one fan from New Zealand. Uh, really enjoy it. Really enjoy the podcast. Aren't you the president of we our don't... fan club in New Zealand? Yeah, yeah I, could, I could say I definitely am. A club of one population of three. You know, it takes, up, takes it up. Well, we're glad to have Thank you. you. Um, so I do want to just explain to everyone, we've had a bit of life shenanigans keeping us from really getting together and recording. For now, I have enlisted some friends. We will be releasing things bi-weekly instead of weekly for the time being, and obviously our book schedule is a bit different than usual, so sadly we've had to drop Sci-Fi Month for now. Instead, today, James and I will be discussing The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, for which we have watched both movies for you, so we've got all of that to discuss. Well, thank you for coming. Thanks for being here. Do you want to start off with any thoughts? Well, I've known, like, all three versions i mean the book and both the movie versions for quite a few years now but i guess this is the most attention i've ever paid to all of them i um <laughs> i just i was like oh i want to i want to focus on this now so i actually have points to get through i i don't feel like i've got any points to get through but yeah i really enjoyed the book it was my first time reading it yeah i've uh, known about the stories for a while and it was nice to rewatch, reread all within a shorter time span and thank you for doing it in a pretty rushed way with me uh, so we could cover this. But yeah, I've been very emotionally attached to the character of Elizabeth Salander for a long time. And she's one of my favorite fictional characters written. And I have a funny story to tell you that I haven't told you okay. before. And this is a good time to reveal I'm it. I'm very excited. So this past weekend in Atlanta has been um, Dragon Con and the second year I ever went, I went with some friends, and I decided to do Elizabeth cosplay. Really? Wow. Now, keep in mind, <laughs> I did not, at the time, have any tattoos or anything like that. And what I decided to do was sharpie them on no. myself. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you couldn't just order temporary tattoos back then. It was a different time. But so I had the Sharpie wasp on my neck. I had these fake piercings. I had like kind of braided my hair and made it look a bit chunky. I think I even spray painted it black. Needless to say, it wasn't the worst cosplay ever, but in the hot Georgian summer, the Sharpie tattoo did melt off in the course of the day. That's awful. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, geez. So yeah. Um, but enough of that, I guess I'll do a little bit of backstory. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a novel by Stieg Larsson, which I hope I'm saying it right. It was a novel written in 2005, and the first film, the Swedish version, was um, done in 2009. The director is Niels Arden Oplev, and then obviously we have the David Fincher US version, and I'm really not going to do really an in-depth film discussion of which one is better. I do have certain ideas of which convey certain characters better, and obviously which one I think makes a more effective overall film. Oh yes. I guess we can summarize the novel. If you haven't read it, please stop dicking around and go ahead and read this novel. It kind of was a huge deal, you know. Yeah, definitely. Read it. Watch it. Get in it. <laughs> I don't care, but I do, Thank because you. I enjoy that. So, do, do that. <laughs> but, yeah, Stieg Larsson's been compared to pretty much ABBA and IKEA as sort of a Swedish 
phenomenon that really kind of took the world by storm. <laughs> well, I've been reading a lot about this because I am so attached to these books, so I wanted to do them justice. So I guess without further ado, the story is basically a murder mystery being solved 40 years after the fact. And we have really two key main character players, Mikhail Bloomfist, and yes, Michael's not here, so we intentionally have a character with the name Mikhail. And being played <laughs> by a person with the name Michael, spelled not <laughs> like Mikhail, and he's not here. Like my co-host, Mikhail Bloomfist is a divorcee with a daughter. No, I'm kidding. He, he's not. But, all right, so <laughs> Mikhail Bloomfist <laughs> works at the newspaper Millennium, which tackles pretty much just financial news. One direction. It's amazing. That was, that was really that was that was really well done. No, thank you. Oh, it's God. a magazine. They make it very clear it's a magazine. Yeah. James, you're fired. I'm fired. Oh, I paid I paid too much attention to the movie. I'm sorry. I will leave. No, you've got me. I'm here. And so the start of the movie is he has been sued for libel for going after a really, you know, swanky Swedish tycoon named Venestrom, and so he's fucked. And in the meantime, we're meeting Elizabeth Salander, who is a ward of the state in Sweden. We don't know why, and we don't find out in this book. It's in future books. I won't tell you. Go read. And basically, she's had a state sponsor, guardian. What do they call it? Pretty <laughs> well. Yeah. I think it's Sponsored a guardian. by the state. <laughs> it's not a A. It's She's not a ward a of the state. She has, you know, state assigned guardians to look after her and make sure she's not in control of anything because she's. You're good. Listen. You know, it's funny. I will only say this now that I'm not recording with Michael today. Um, he's right. I suck at book summaries, but we're going to get through this. All right. So Elizabeth has a guardian who suffers a stroke, and she is assigned a new guardian who very quickly on is at least mildly creepy but it progresses into oh yeah trigger warning we will discussing sexual assault and violence specifically against women also just violent it's a violent book guys but this guardian really takes advantage of the power dynamic at play and is trying to set up a system where they trade money for sexual pleasures it's clearly rape and yes we're not going to go too much into that right now but Mikael Blomqvist is approached by a man named Dirk Froda. Oh my god, we're gonna lose Sweden. All the Nordic countries that listen to us now. Shout out, thanks guys. But <laughs> Froda, who wants him to help solve this mystery, and he goes to Hedestad Island where he meets with Henrik Wenger, business mastermind, whatever, of Wenger Industries, whose niece Harriet has been missing for 40 years and he needs help. Who did they hire to do a background check on him? None other than Lisbeth. Oh yeah, she's one of Sweden's top hackers. She gets into his emails. She talks about how he doesn't perform enough cunnilingus. That was a great moment. And together, together they help solve this mystery and holy shit, Harriet Wenger's alive. Alright, so, really quick version. That's the whole book. Still read it. Still read it. <laughs> The fact she's alive is the, the biggest, pretty much the biggest twist in the entire book, and now you know, so... You know what, no, that twist isn't even, like, that important by the end, like, it's cool. It's cool for the murder mystery part, but I'm gonna argue the dynamic between all the characters is the number one most important, you know. I'll take that. Yeah, so despite that in-depth analysis, guys, please still read the book. <laughs> yes, well then, should we start with the book? or one of the movies, or what do you think? Well, I guess we can start talking about the movies, and we, we will get more in-depth here, but, you know. Swedish version, right? All right, so the Swedish films, they did all three books, right? They actually, it was a planned project of doing ad adaptations of all three. And so they've got that going for them. If you want a dive into all three novels, that's, that's the one you should go for. And honestly... I honestly didn't want to have the opinion that I like the American version better, but I do. And I'll tell you guys exactly why. But let's get into what I think happens that is done well. So Rooney Mara kills it as Elizabeth. Amazing actress. Knocks it out of the park. Obviously, we see her in other movies since then. This really helped launch her career. 
She was also approached to do the American version, but she was like, guys, I've done three movies as Lisbeth. I can't, I can't do it again. Right. I, <laughs> I need to that. branch out. I know, right? She brought the character to life. I will say a huge issue I had in the movie is the way Mikhail tracks her down. Right. I got the sense from the novel very early on, she is very removed from the people she researches and that's how she prefers to do things. She figures everything out through her computer, there's minimal interaction, and as soon as the Swedish version starts, it seems to be showing her taking pictures of Mikhail, especially when he's meeting with Berger, like she's a sort of hacker paparazzi, and that confused the shit out of me as to why. And then when they do first interact, it's her emailing him about the Bible verses that are not phone numbers that he's trying to figure out regarding Harriet. And she sends him that email. Which I thought was very strange, considering how it was adapted. And for the other version, having Mikhail's daughter involved in sort of spotting the Bible and thinking that he's getting religious <laughs> with the Bible codes from Leviticus definitely was a nice plot point. And, you know, Mikhail having a daughter is, you know, it's not a massive part of the book, but it's big enough that you notice. And her just casually noticing something rather than it only being those two who are allowed to figure out clues ever. It was great. So the fact that they left the daughter out kind of disappointed me a bit. Entirely. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's the one who reaches out to him and he decides to ask about who this might be and why they have access to his computer and that's how he tracks her down. Again, knowing what we know about Lisbeth, the way it's described in the novel, when he shows up at her doorstep, she is immediately uncomfortable and scared because she specifically says in that moment she was not used to seeing people in person that she does research on. Which also goes to show she would not be following him and taking pictures. These, these are entirely separate people from her also, life. One thing, in the Swedish version of the movie, he doesn't bring breakfast. He doesn't bring her breakfast when he ambushes her at her house in the book and then in the American version with Daniel Craig, he brings breakfast and it's quite a humorous moment because he's like, here, I got you something. Clearly, you need it right now. Have some breakfast and we can have a little chat. But the Swedish one, they left it out. He didn't even bring breakfast, which I just thought was rude. You know, I know she hacked into his shit, but come on. <laughs> no, in the Swedish version, he just kind of sticks this folder of research ominously into her doorframe. And honestly, that was, I think, one of the first things I really loved about Mikhail in the novel is he brings three different bagel sandwiches and one is vegetarian because he didn't know what her preferences were. And I was just like, all right, this is a man we can simp for. Completely. Love him. Not to mention, like, he tidies up her kitchen and makes them coffee. I don't know. Good guy, Mikhail. Oh, yeah. And he bought three. It wasn't just two. He was like... We're going to have, what, the vegetarian, the turkey, and another another kind? I can't remember the third. It was another meat option, just in case they didn't like turkey. But, yeah, I'm all for that. Exactly. This is the beginning of a more solidly built chemistry between the two of them. That I think the American version immediately starts off where it's building a more believable dynamic between the two of them that is showing some mutual respect. And really some humor between how they interact with each other and also the fact that they end that scene in the american version very powerfully on him saying i want you to help me track down a killer i love women. that quote and the way rooney mara's eyes flick up at him where you're like yes she's immediately engaged he's got her that was beautiful all right so another really weird thing at the beginning in the Swedish version, they're juxtaposing Mikhail sitting there having Christmas with his family. Although, again, they're not showing him with his daughter. He's there with his sister, Anita, who's a lawyer, and her children and her husband. And he's getting this call where they're saying, come work on this case for us. And then they're juxtaposing it, showing Lisbeth in her apartment, eating, I don't know, her microwave ramen. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I have to interrupt. In the... Was it the was it the Swedish or the American one? She. No, no, I know what you're gonna say. Wait, that's in the American one, but <laughs> we will handle that. I promise, because that I know what okay. you're gonna say. 
<laughs> but no, they have this whole moment where she looks out the window and sees a family having proper Christmas dinner, and it's like, no, Lisbeth is not sad about the fact that she's not sitting there having a family Christmas dinner. That's not who her character is. I didn't like that they're trying to make it seem like a aw, oh, poor Lisbeth moment. But yeah, talk about the ramen. Right. So, she puts, in the American version, as confirmed, she has her noodles, she puts the ramen in a little bowl, and it's almost like not even completely in the bowl, not even lying down, half of it's stuck up on the fucking edge. <laughs> and she just puts a little splash of water, little splat, not even, not even enough to nearly cover the noodles. And in the microwave, three minutes, walks the fuck away. Those noodles would be on fire, they would be black, it would smell like shit. I had a real problem with that. Well, wait, you know, James, one of the versions is called The Girl Who Plays With Fire, so... Oh, my lord. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. oh my okay. lord. <laughs> sorry, one of the three books, yeah. <laughs> but yes, that, that was egregious. And also, guys, don't microwave your ramen. I swear, heating up some water in a pan, it's pretty easy. It's even, it's even quicker. If you bring it to a rolling boil before you stick the noodles in, you're good to go. It'll be faster than the microwave. I would like to just talk for one moment about Christopher Plummer. Absolutely perfect. Love that man to bits. Everything I ever, I've ever seen him in is perfect. And him as Heinrich Wanger was, he just had me sold from the beginning and the whole way through. Definitely a lot more than the Swedish Heinrich Wanger. Maybe that's a language barrier in watching subtitles versus I just felt connected to Heinrich rather than just the strange old Swedish man who's the same character, but I didn't get it. Yeah, and okay, yeah, let's take a moment to talk about this cast because, look, the difference of the budget of a $13 million movie and a $90 million movie, I understand. I'm not here to really gripe on them. But it is unfair how much talent is in the American version. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, you have Daniel Craig, Rooney Mara, Christopher Plummer, like you said. You... I'm gonna blank. Why do Who I always thinking? do what this? What character? Oh, 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 oh. Erica. Erica played by Robin Wright in the American one. Robin fucking oh, yeah. Wright. Who continues to age way too well. I don't understand. Also, her with long hair, something and, else. I get so used to seeing her I with... I mean, she can rock I both. get so used to seeing her with short hair from, like, House of Cards. Let's not bring yeah. up that show. But... <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Look, it's fine. We also have Stellan Skarsgård, who we did remark on this when we were discussing, looks a lot like the Swedish actor that played Martin Vanger in the Swedish version, which was really funny that it worked out that way. But yeah a butt full of talent. And something I also mentioned to James, I thought it was really interesting that the American version picked more Swedish looking actors than the Swedish version. Or to me they looked more I'm not from I'm not from there guys, don't cancel me. I don't know. They looked they looked Swedish as fuck. They really did. They really did. On the note of all the actors as well, in the American version, and that's the only version that can really you can really make this point on, the accents are all over the place. They had cast people from everywhere, and yeah, you sort of didn't really know exactly where they were meant to be meant to be from. Some of them seemed to be trying to sound authentic. Daniel Craig didn't seem to give a shit. He was playing <laughs> Bond, but like without. Well, I mean, some of the spy shit, but like lost all of his skills. So here's what's funny. I looked I looked this up because the accents are so egregious. So again, yeah, you've got Daniel Craig keeping. His regular British accent. Rooney Mara's trying to sound Swedish. It's all over the place. And so I looked this up, and apparently, I think they had suggested they, tr they try to go for a Swedish accent, but Daniel Craig said he thought it would sound, quote, stupid, so he kept his accent. And you know what? He was fucking right, guys. He was I right. And <laughs> but, good on him. Well, yeah, but at least everyone should be on the same page. And what's curious to me is at least... Look, a lot of movies do this, and I don't know why. And don't come for me, Britain, but why is it that every historical movie 
not that this is, this is modern, but every historical movie or every movie about another universe seems to have British actors. Like, look at Game of Thrones. I mean, look, it's a great cast, but why? So that's always confused the piss out of me, but, you know, I'm willing to ignore it. I'm willing to ignore it. That's really my giant flaw with this Very film. Very true. I was, things like Game of Thrones, sometimes are willing to give a bit of a pass for that, especially when the history seems to be kind of based on some version of early British history. They even had the people that looked at the North have Northern accents. <laughs> so it kind of, I was kind of okay with that. And then they had different accents, accents of like different regions in Game of Thrones, which I was cool with. But we're not even talking about that right now. No, but actually, do I want to add something? Because, again, I'm blanking. You need to be my name person, because I'm so bad at... The Wildling Girl. The Wildling Girl. Which one? Jon Snow's girl. Played by Rose Leslie. Egret. Okay. Fucking great actor. Okay, listen. It was really weird to see her do interviews in person and realize that her accent is, like, this more London posh accent than, like, the very kind of... Um, she goes for a very I'm gonna I don't I don't claim to know the regions of dialects in the UK but she is going for a more I guess coarse accent in the show and that was really cool because you know anyway okay so back to what we're discussing back to a completely different (laughs) book and adaption here's my other big issue with the Swedish version when you're investigating a family that we have been told time and time again is full of hateful people that don't want no infringing on their privacy. Mm-hmm. It's really weird to me that they didn't even bother to come up with a cover story of why Mikhail was there in the Swedish film. They never address it. They never have a conversation of, oh, tell everyone you're writing about this sort of biography about me and my family. Everyone just knows he's investigating Harriet. And that doesn't make sense to me. Because it seems to me, as things happen in the book, as plot twist, ah, they have a pet cat that hangs out there, and the cat, they wake up one day and someone's killed the cat, and someone tries to shoot at Michael. So it makes no sense, if people knew that was your motivation all along, that the violence would start to happen later. This is very true. Also, the cat fucked me up, because... I need a, I'm going to place a little trigger warning here as well. The cat gets killed by someone on the island, and the cat is in the shape of a swastika on the ground. They've mangled the limbs, and... Was it really supposed to be in the shape of a swastika? It looks exactly like one. I feel like we need to go back and have another look, but I've always... I noticed that like immediately, and it, like, scarred me. And also one of my favorite little moments in the American version is he's walking past the cat at one point and just sticks out his hand and the cat swats his hand and it's like a little high five moment because they're bros and they're, they're living in a little chat together and I love it. I'm a cat person, guys. So to me, it's sad if you just leave the cat out. The cat was an important per- part of the story. And I also love, God, speaking of, there's this scene in the American version it's one of his first nights there. Mikhail wakes up, the cat's kind of sleeping on his head, right? Adorable. And then as he stands up, the cat moves to the other side of the bed and does a little cat loaf position, and Mikhail is cold, so he drags the blanket off and just yeets the cat off the bed, and it's fucking amazing. It's something you couldn't script, because it's a cat. And the cat was like, I'm comfy, I don't want to fucking move. And he's like, give me the blanket. And the cat's like, bring it, and runs off the bed beautiful moment i know oh and speaking of i never i did not look up if this scene wasn't planned but there's a great moment where mikhail comes back to the cabin in the american version he puts this water bottle on top of the fridge and then it starts to roll off and he just like ninja grabs it and catches it and it looks like one of those moments they probably just got off the cuff but i don't know for sure if you guys know email us let us know tell us trade secrets it's very hard to tell but yeah the bottle falling off the fridge not smashing him, just casually catching it. You can't help in the American version, but see James Bond and Daniel Craig. You've made this point to me before, Andrea, that he's way too hot to play Mikhail Blomkvist. I'm gonna dial back that criticism, because he did gain weight for the role. Obviously, Daniel Craig gaining weight still looks like hotter than normal people, but they tried. 
He tried. I'm gonna take it. Also, their on-screen chemistry is so good, I don't give a fuck about anything else. So, in the Swedish version, I'm not quite buying the romance. There's kind of moments of intimacy that they show, but they're not, to me, that profound. She also feels a fair bit warmer to him, and just in general, in the book and the American movie. And I feel like that's where David Fincher's adaption in my opinion, has a little bit of a one-up on the Swedish version because they seem to have used more of Lisbeth's character from her portions of the book that they didn't touch in the Swedish movie. In the book, you get a lot more internal moments of her going through stuff and how she feels about certain things, that she's comfortable with Mikhail. And the Swedish version of the movie makes her seem quite cold. Yeah. And I mean, and she is. To most people, she is. And that's one of the really interesting things about her is she is very cold when she finds someone that she knows she can vibe with and trust, like Mikhail. She has opened up to him, I mean, relatively quickly, more so than she's used to. And that really is part of the reason why she becomes so infatuated with him. And it is a beautiful thing they have. And yeah, it's those little moments that the American version does to show us what makes this a believable romance between them. Uh, Like when he got shot and he shows up and she's helping him. (laughs) She goes to like get the floss and he's like, please tell me you're gonna sterilize that. And someone like Lisbeth, you would never expect to just listen to anyone. So she grabs the vodka, throws vodka on the floss, throws it on the cut on his head. <laughs> he, he's screaming. <laughs> but then she's like, here, drink some vodka. And he's like, okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was so funny seeing him be like needy and just completely helpless in that moment and her being utterly there for him. I really loved seeing that part of her character. And there's this cute thing that I just realized. So there is a shot we see at one point where he's still asleep. They haven't they haven't actually hooked up yet, but he's still asleep. And when he wakes up, she is going through the files on his computer. And he comes out and goes to tell her something. And she goes, oh, I know, I already caught up. I was reading through your documents. And he goes, those were encrypted. And she goes, please. And that was another like really good moment of, Dude, come on, you know I already got onto your computer, don't act dumb. And then he goes to maneuver the computer to show her something, and he's being just like a typical older person, and it's taking him forever, and you just see her like roll her eyes. (laughs) Oh, why would you just let me do it? I completely love his muffling in that moment, as he's trying to find a certain button (laughs) on the computer, and he's just like, oh, what the fuck's that? Oh, what's that one there? Oh, and she's looking there with just this, (laughs) for fuck's sake, look on her face. Like, kill me now face. But you know what I caught in that moment, James? The picture she was looking at was a picture of him with Erica Berger. Oh. For backstory, guys, it is the co-worker. He is having an open sexual relationship with, given that she's married. Whatever. Alright. Oh, God. Please, I need to... I have to tab that, because I have to talk about that in a second. Elizabeth is looking at that picture of them together, and one might be meant to think she's being jealous, But what I think is interesting is at the end of the movie, when she goes to get him a new leather kind of riding jacket, that picture is the reference because he's wearing a jacket like that when that image was taken. That leads me to think she was already thinking of giving him this gift back then. I don't know. Maybe that's just me reading a line to it. Uh, Maybe she was just snooping. But they do have like these little hints in the movie of other things like that that are very clever storytelling. On the same note as that as well, when she's looking at the picture, I found it interesting that the picture is of Mikhail and Erica there together, all happy and having a good time. And Lisbeth doesn't read into that at all. Like, it's almost like Erica's not in the photo. And then at the end of the movie, seeing them together, not giving him the jacket, it's almost Mm -hmm. like, didn't she see it coming anyway? She was never not a part of his life. Yeah. So, but, okay, Erica's the source of one of my big contentions with the movie. It's going to sound like a small thing, but to me, reading these books, it was the first modern author I saw that was really cool about a lot of stuff. For example, having a 
main character and protagonist who is very tattooed and pierced and he's not kind of pigeonholing her into anything and he's also like we're going to not care about her appearance and talk about who Elizabeth is as a person considering the world we live in I think that's still something a lot of people haven't gotten cool about so I appreciate it a lot but also it was the first time I had really read about an open relationship so again for a little backstory when they met Bloomfist and Erica Berger were both married to different people and then they start a sexual relationship his wife doesn't like it they get divorced her husband is cool with it and so sometimes she hangs out with Mikhail sometimes her husband and everyone is cool about it but then you have this scene in the movie in the American version where Erica comes to visit Bloomfist and she wakes up and he's not in bed and she kind of goes to the doorway and says if I wanted a cold bed I would have just stayed at home now that could mean her husband's traveling I, I mean he's an artist so maybe but to me it kind of seemed to suggest that she's shit-talking her husband which kind of just ruins the whole point of what they've otherwise shown us is a healthy open relationship with three people and so I didn't I didn't like that the relationship between Mikhail and Erica in the book they definitely get into a lot more and they sort of explain the author explains in and out that Mikhail was caught sleeping with Erica while they were both married and then they kind of, mm-hmm. their lives were both fucked and their relationships were both fucked, but they kind of just did it anyway. It seems way more messy in the book. True. And so we can't talk about the strength of the movie overall without, I have to say, the duo of David Fincher and Trent Reznor. It's going to make for a great movie anytime with a great soundtrack. And obviously we have the amazing intro with Karen O covering Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. I remember that was in like the first trailers when it came out and I like sat my family around and I was like, look, look at this, look at what they're making. And I turned the volume up way too loud and my parents were like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, this is gonna be the tits is what this is gonna be. And it was. I love that intro. (laughs) Thank you for that. That intro was absolutely, that sort of knowing James Bond for much longer than this series. It was almost like that kind of intro. I can't help but compare that kind of movie in general with Daniel Craig to Bond. Not that he was my first Bond, but having a long intro sequence with a song that's familiar and it kind of almost setting the tone with whatever the background's going on. And just the amount of like the black sludge in the intro with sort of animated things that you'd see throughout the film are just incredible to look at. True. And so what I think is interesting is with the intro and then just some slight references they make, they manage to, with a shorter runtime, set up sequels a bit better than the Swedish version does. So I think they were intending to make a sequel, but the movie didn't make as much money as they wanted it to because they had the $90 million budget for the American version and they grossed, I want to say, $293 million, if I remember correctly. And that wasn't quite the profit they were hoping for. I think Sony said they were hoping for 10% more, which does surprise me because these books were kind of internationally famous by this point. And also Daniel Craig at this stage was bombed, very expensive. Um, It was something that confused me slightly as well. Sony having owned the rights to make this film and they were making this film and could have made the sequels, but they also owned Bond and Daniel Craig was Bond at the time. So you'd think they could have done some leeway, but maybe they decided, oh, it's not worth it. It didn't make enough. Even though we like him, but we're already paying him a lot here. Let's, yeah, I'm not 100% sure on the reasons. I haven't looked into it that much, but it was just disappointing we didn't get more considering how amazing the cast was. Yeah. And so another thing they th- I think they set up really well, the Swedish version dedicates, I think, at least two, if not three flashbacks showing young Elizabeth throwing a match at someone. They don't tell you what that's about in the Swedish version, I want to say. But in the American version, there's just kind of this conversation after everything's gone down and Elizabeth has saved Mikhail Bloomfist's life where he just asks her why she's a ward of the state and she admits that she set her father on fire. They don't go into the motivations. That's for further books. But 
It was interesting that with less runtime and with an intimate conversation between the two characters, they managed to reveal the same, the same thing. And to that point, speaking of how well their chemistry works, I love the bit. So normally I would hate it because Elizabeth doesn't ask people for permission, but so for a bit of extra again, if you are watching, if you're listening and you haven't watched this, they find out who has been murdering women and it's Martin Vanger. Oh my God, Stellan Skarsgård, who'd have thought? He seems so nice. He seems so cool. And Mikhail shows up to his house, is kind of trying to break in. Martin Vanger catches him, says, come in for a drink. There's some really great suspense here. They have this whole last conversation where you can tell both of them know that the other one knows, right? Then Stellan's like, come down, follow me to the cellar. He's like, okay. Again, guys, never let anyone take you to a secondary location. I told James, I'll tell you all. It's never a good idea. You fight till your death at the first location. I don't care. Anyway, this is my true crime side coming out. But anyway, he goes down to his cellar. Oh shit, he gets gassed. Wakes up. Martin's like, I have to kill you. You found out my secret. Elizabeth shows up. Thwacks Martin over the face with a golf club. And can I just say that's also more satisfying in the American version? Because she literally gouges his cheek open with the golf club, and it's really satisfying. The special effects on Stellan Skarsgård's face, like, after she smashes him with the golf club, so well done. His jaw is just fucking gone, and <laughs> it's hanging out, and you only you only see it clearly in that scene for, like, a second or two, but you're like, oh, oh, did she, ah, and then the movie keeps going. But, like, it's so well done to just see the smash. You watch him go, oh, and beautiful. The minimal, like, special effects work that they did need to do for this kind of movie, they did exceedingly well, and they were very convincing. Yeah. And so after she cuts Mikhail down, he tells her, oh, there's a gun over there. She grabs it, and then she goes to Mikhail and says, can I kill him? And... Mikhail nods yes and again normally wouldn't like it Elizabeth doesn't need permission but again it's just kind of shown that at this point they've have this repertoire together and then off she goes to get him here's a notable interesting change across all three so in the novel I think he swerves into oncoming traffic on purpose is what the reading supposed to be was that this was suicide okay yeah whereas in the movies they both seem like just accidents he's been fucked up he makes a mistake while driving now what i do prefer about the swedish version is after martin crashes in both movies the car starts to spark and there's gas leaking and in the swedish version he's like please help me and they give her the time to make the decision and she decides no i'm gonna let you burn Whereas in the American version, she's walking towards the car. She has the gun out. You can tell she's gonna kill him anyway, but the car explodes and they kind of remove that sort of agency from her getting to actually make a final decision. And given who Lisbeth is, it makes more sense that she would have the choice to help him and would decide not to. Very true. And also, yeah, with the, her asking for permission to kill, it was a nice moment considering how well they've developed their relationship in the American movie. Beautiful that she would still consider him in that moment considering everything she'd been through and they'd been through to get up to that point and her getting there when he's dying while she's chasing him you sort of, you're in your mindset of she's gonna fucking kill him, yeah get him, but still being faced with that choice at the end. Yeah. I also just overall my sense of unease while watching the movies i felt more uncomfortable watching the swedish version maybe that had something to do with the fact i'm watching subtitled in foreign language for me not really recognizing any of the cast while watching the swedish version everything felt often strange as it should considering the content of what they were actually going through but yeah, the American version, the cast is, you know, I know that face, I know that. Well, you almost immediately feel at home because you're like, oh, here's familiar faces everywhere. But I, I just felt way more uncomfortable watching the Swedish one. I felt differently. I see what you mean. I did feel differently. I feel like the Swedish version was shot in, I think, a grittier style where everything also looks very, I don't know what the right term for is, but I want to kind of say sterile. 
And the American version has the added benefit of, oh, you had a big cinematography budget, so everything does look pretty. Like, it looks ominous, but it looks pretty. I think Fincher used a lot of very discomforting shots. I think that there was a good general driven anxiety throughout the movie. So you have little things like he does a lot of these long shots, or there's a term for it that I can't think of right now, but they're basically shots where you get posed a question as the viewer. So one good example is in the Swedish version, we hear about all of these flower prints Henrik is getting, and he kind of just takes Mikhail to the attic and he shows him. Versus in the American version, he takes Mikhail to where the flower prints are, and you don't see them yet. Instead, you they, they show you Mikhail's face, and he goes, what are they? Who sent them? And you start to wonder, oh my god, what is it? So they add to this level of anxiety of you sitting there with that question before they actually pan and show you what's on the walls. And he does this a few times in the movie, which is a smart use of time, but also, yeah, it helps with kind of having tense moments. And then there's also those sort of shots like when Lisbeth goes to visit the locations of where these other women were killed. There's one shot where she's standing in front of this barn, and also the way the sound mixing is done in the scene is brilliant, because you hear like a loud noise and she turns around and a train is just going by her really fast. And there's like just all these little moments like that. Completely. David Fincher just, he knows what he's doing. He does. He really does. And there's something just rewatching his movies. You know, even if you've seen it before, if it's your first time, but you know the director, you know what you're going to get, and you're never going to expect it at the same time. It's just there's always something new in there for the viewer. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say a lot about the sexual assault in this movie, but there is introduced the concept of nature versus nurture, which as a psych major student, I had to hear about in every single class ever. Comparing how Lisbeth and Mikhail see Martin and Harriet, considering their backstories, is very important because Lisbeth has been, she's had a pretty shitty run at life so far. So as we find out from later novels, the reason she sets her dad on fire is because he was beating her mom. The, I mean, the American version does tell you that, the Swedish version doesn't, depending which one you've seen. She became a ward of the state. You do find out in later books she was committed to St. Stephen's where the guy in charge of that place liked to just keep her tied to a bed and not really let her move and this is how he punished children was just by being really cruel with them and then she finally gets to be on her own she has a nice guardian who has a stroke and she's passed off to this asshole so when it comes to the Vanger family, she has a lot less sympathy for the motivations that got them to where they were than someone like Mikhail would. And she sees everything as people having a choice because Elizabeth is one of those people that, by all accounts, you'd expect to read about and say she had every kind of life opportunity to become evil herself, but she has not. Now she may be more chill with murder of what I would say is deserving people than some of us, but still overall, I would argue, a good person. Agreed. Completely. Yeah, it's a very uncomfortable subject in general. Yeah, I found, I don't know whether I was misreading it or whatever, I found the David Fincher version felt more graphic. You go to the Swedish version and it, it feels like it's over sooner. And then in the book, they describe it so it's not, well, they don't describe it in massive detail, but it also feels like it's over fairly soon. And I just thought that was interesting and in how they decided to adapt the sexual assault for Swedish version and the American one. It didn't feel like too much, but it felt like a lot more. And he was doing a lot of lingering shots there. He was lingering a lot on her face. And then there's something I've heard of filmmakers doing. Again, I don't know terms for things, but basically he'll just show a room. So you're just kind of seeing the subjective what's going on in a room, but he lingered on it a lot, just kind of forcing you to stay with that scene versus ending it for the viewer's discomfort. Like, I think they wanted you to feel like you were trapped in the room with Lisbeth to help understand her a bit better. It was smart without being gratuitous. Like, neither of these, I want to just say, it was a graphic rape scene. Neither of these movies did it gratuitously or did it a disservice in any way. Completely. You did feel the Fincher one more. Both of these scenes are very uncomfortable for me to watch, but that is the point. It's not supposed to be a pleasant watch. Not to not to pivot too much, but um, I made I, I made a little note um, right as I began the book 
on the second page, New Zealand got a shout out, and I was over the moon. I was so happy. So Harriet has been sending Heinrich these flowers and picture frames for his birthday every single year since the year she went missing. And the book goes into a little bit of discussion because whenever the flowers are sent, they always come from different locations around the world and they can never pinpoint exactly where something came from. They start talking about where the specific flowers originated and Australia and New Zealand got a shout out. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely reading the right book. There's always something nice in a book that's completely separated from your country completely and you'd never expect it. And we're like, oh, a little name drop in there. Made me very happy. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's funny. There's also a nice little moment in the, in the book. I didn't necessarily felt it dated it, but there are moments in the book where they do mention specific things that really set I know that the the entire old family is full of Nazis and that dates it itself anyway considering it's 40 years afterwards that the events of the movie take place but it's also mentioned at one point Mikhail goes to see Lord of the Rings because he hasn't had the chance to see it yet which I which I thought was nice but that by itself doesn't really add up to a point later on Harold Wanger is one of the one of the grumpy old men who shows up and Mikhail sort of sees this like decrepit old man and he refers to it as Gollum has emerged from his cave kind of internally yep. and that's <laughs> after he's seen Lord of the Rings earlier on in the book and I thought that's a nice little touch for Mikhail the author's like hey we'll have him remember doesn't need to be touched on in the movie at all it's funny that you mentioned that I did some reading on Stieg Larsson there's a lot of stories about him in Sweden. He's become a phenomenon, and we don't know exactly what is true anymore. Now, according to the official story I've always read, he witnessed a gang rape when he was 13. Then he didn't help, and he always felt bad. And that girl's name was Lisbeth, and that's what inspired him to write this character. Now, later he did say that that might not have been his story, but a story he heard from someone. But what's interesting is there's a lot of statistics at the start of chapters in the novel that go to show you for a progressive Nordic country, Sweden, like a lot of other countries, still has an issue with sexual assault. But what I'm leading into, and this is a much lighter topic, Stieg Larsson growing up was very fond of children's detective books, and where he actually got the inspiration for Mikkel Blomqvist was, I mean, partly his own life because he did run an anti-right propaganda newspaper because he was constantly stressed out about the rise of fascism in Sweden. So basically what he was doing is really researching the fuck out of any remnants of fascist sentiment in his country. And basically Mikkel Blomqvist was a more successful version of his reporting career, but also the name that people kind of give to Mikhail Blomqvist as a joke to kind of make fun of him is Kai Blomqvist, and that's actually the name of a popular Swedish children's series of a like boy detective. So he also would read about Pippi Longstocking, and that's why there's a reference at some point where Elizabeth says that if someone calls her Pippi Longstocking, she's going to get really pissed off. So he has like all these little references in there from his own life, which is really cool. There's some place they travel to, which I'm blanking on the name now, but it's a town he used to visit as a child. I think that's a lot of what good authors do is borrow from things they already know because it gives you a certain air of authenticity about what they're writing about. Completely, yeah. And I definitely love the touch of, they mention the kid's book from the nickname at the beginning and when Blomqvist moves into the little shack on the island, there's a whole bunch of old shit in there and he sees that specific kid's book on the shelf. And to himself, he's almost like, you can imagine him just shaking his head and being like, ugh, like thinking about that bloody nickname again. But yeah. <laughs> True. And so that's something else I really liked about the American version is they would sort of have these references in there as well that I really loved. For example, in the book, it is mentioned that Elizabeth eats Happy Meals. She doesn't eat well. She's always eating fast food or, or, or like ramen and is always drinking Coke and stuff. Oh, but I can definitely relate to there that. There is that scene. <laughs> Sorry, get that. <laughs> no, you're good. But there is that scene after she has laundered Venestrom's money and she's sitting there counting her millions of dollars in deeds. She just has this little Happy Meal box next to her. And, um, oh, when she visits Plague, 
because of course you have to do some some service to the people making the movie. She goes to visit Plague and he's wearing a nine inch nail shirt and I thought that was just great. So, oh, that's another point I had. Okay, don't come at me guys. I'll do my best. American version Lisbeth, I think wardrobe did a better job because nothing against either actress. It's not about how they look specifically because both absolutely rocked their roles but whoever was in charge of wardrobe i felt like swedish lisbeth looked more like a hot topic goth and then the way they styled rooney mara looked a bit like a believable this is how a person would dress i'll agree with you there no yeah completely the hot topic goth look of Lumi rapace's character it was always it was very crisp throughout the whole movie it didn't feel as like a regular person you know what i mean I'm not going to come at you because I see it. I mean, not to say Hot Topic Goths haven't been a thing, but it seemed like the person who did the wardrobe was kind of guessing from internet pictures of what a goth person might dress like. And to me, it was just odd. But I do want to say, okay, yeah, Numeru Pace, Rooney Mara both did a great job. I'm not sure about what Numeru Pace did for the role just because I haven't just seen anything on it. I do know Rooney Mara actually did go out and get all the piercings, which, like, massive kudos to her because all of those were real. So, I mean, fucking dedication. I really need to do more research. I just, I watched the content, I ingested the content, but you've got all the background knowledge. I mean, I guess it's as informative for me as it will be for the listener, as it were. I mean, I hope so. Again, look, I've been... Some of the stuff I, I did... You know, I like to do some research before we record, but some of the stuff I knew just because I've been so obsessed with the series for so long. It's just me nerding out about something I love. And also, don't discredit because you did read this book and watch both movies for the purpose of doing this episode, which... I did. I, did. I didn't leave myself much time to do more research. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. One thing I do want to make sure we cover as well is the endings. I don't think it matters too much, but it does strike me a little lazy that in the American version, instead of Anita providing Harriet with an escape and getting Harriet to London and then Harriet going to Australia to be as far as fuck away from her home as she possibly could be, in the American version they're like, ah, Anita in London was Harriet all along. And I guess it's not that big of a deal, but was it not just a bit lazy? Were they cutting out unnecessary exposition? I mean, what do you think? I, yeah, I definitely feel like it was more to the events what happened in the, in the book and to the characters themselves that you'd want to get as far away as possible. Her leaving the country and then leaving that country and going across the world is definitely more what Harriet would have done going to Australia. It kind of worked for lots of different points in the story of having the flowers come from everywhere and not knowing exactly where they were coming from. It was nice having her as far away as possible and no one could have known because she wasn't connected to anyone as far as they knew. And it took Anita finally admitting it to be like, oh yeah, she's there, rather than it just being Anita and Mikhail being like, you know what, it might be, I'll ask her. Well, it's not even Anita admitting it, it's the fact that they have this whole stakeout which makes sense if they're waiting for Anita to call the real Harriet to say, oh shit, Martin's dead, you're safe now. Then instead of, in the American version, they're just watching her to see what she's going to mm. do. And Well, also in case there is a Harriet, but instead they're just watching her do online shopping. And then they're like, oh, the reason she's not calling anyone is because she is Harriet. Oh, ha, ha. I don't know. I didn't like that explanation. Yeah. Totally. No, I agree. I definitely think doing it faithfully and taking her across the world and it like adds the kind of epilogue to the movie where you finally find out what happened and they go on an en- another adventure essentially works really well. Whereas the American version almost just decided, let's, let's stop now. We're good. True. So the ending ending. Weirdly enough, the Swedish ending did a more Hollywood movie ending than the American version of it's just Lisbeth in a foreign country with a blonde wig walking off into the sunset and you're like, good for her, she's stolen all the money, do your thing, boss lady. Whereas the American version is she's getting this custom-made leather jacket based off this old photo for Mikhail. She shows up, it is snowing, it's this devastating shot, she's seeing him walk away with Erica Berger, 
and she goes fuck and she just throws his jacket she figuratively goes fuck she doesn't say it but she throws the jacket away and leaves and it just ends on heartbreak which is more to the tone of the story and also would have perfectly set up the sequel but no we don't get one yeah it just ended and you're like oh okay a little bit disappointed but yeah yeah <laughs> I think overall, I like the American version of the movie better. There's things to like in both completely. The American version is one that I sat through and it has to be gripped the entire time. And that's why, for me, I'm sort of, yeah, that's my one. True. One thing you didn't bring up that I thought you were is how, man, Mikhail's looking through the pictures on, fuck, was it the American or Swedish version? And he's trying to read the letters on that couple's car and he basically does enhance. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, he, he's sitting there zooming in on the pictures, trying to see what details he can get out of them. And to be fair, he does do a contrast adjustment. It does say this in both. And, and in the book, he specific, the author specifically spells out how he gets more detail out of the pictures. Mm -hmm. But he might as well have clicked the enhance button like they do on every fucking crime drama <laughs> show just to get a clear crisp 4k picture from a blurry ass street cam with one button and you know i will say oh yeah it was the swedish version because i remember it was contrast but with a k and i was like oh cool i still know what that means it's very similar to english yeah i'm pretty sure it was with a k in the american one as well because they had any like books or anything were all written with oh, um yeah. written in swedish unless it was necessary for the viewer to be able to read what they had written down jk you're right you're right Great book, great movies, personal bias towards one versus the other, but both are awesome. Watch the whole Swedish trilogy. Oh, so one funny thing James and I also discovered, if you watch it on Amazon Prime, which James can't because different places allow different or whatever, the version James watched was different than the one I saw, and mine had premiered on Canal Plus, which did, instead of the movies as three installments when they premiered them on TV, they did six sections of movies so like each movie was cut in half and there were additional features so we were trying to watch these at the same time and then i realized he started getting way ahead of me because he didn't get to see some it was scenes. the funniest shit we were trying to watch it at the same time <laughs> and well we realized we actually we realized we were watching them at the same time after messaging and then we're like oh we'll keep going we'll do it on a call and andrea was 20 minutes ahead of me when we started and by the end, I caught up. I was getting closer and closer to where she was in the movie. And then I took over. And my movie finished by probably five, five minutes-ish before her one. So yeah, if you guys want two extra hours of footage when you go to watch it, make sure you click on the extended edition version on Amazon, which I'm not going to be finishing the trilogy with the extended footage because I want to see what I missed. Yeah, I definitely want to go and watch the extended version. Because we had we had little discussions, most of, all of main discussions being here, but when we realised that we were watching different versions of the movie at the same time, we sort of what scenes were extended, what scenes were cut out or changed slightly. Always very interesting, disciple viewing and finding out what a director's put in an extended cut or a made-for-TV version of the movie. Some would say the theatrical was more concise and cut out unnecessary content. Yep. I mean, I think that's all the thoughts I have on Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. James, do you have anything to add? No, no, no. We've got we've got through everything I wanted to cover. Um, yeah, I, for me, I'm definitely going to go and read the second and third books and watch their movie adaptions for sure, because I'm definitely interested in finding out what happens to these characters next. Yeah, and oh, if you guys do go through the whole series, the fourth novel was finished by a different author because, as some might know, uh, Stieg Larsson sadly passed, and there was a big contentious argument about his estate with his partner and his family, and it was ultimately finished against the wishes of his partner and probably his wishes, but I still think that was a solid novel, and you do get to see Lisbeth messing with the NSA. That's all I'll tell you, but that was really satisfying. Ooh. So yeah, if you're interested in that, read the rest. Uh, so obviously, like I said, our regular programming has changed a bit. What we'll instead be doing, because there has been a goddamn renaissance of this series and everyone's fucking talking about it. Sorry, I'm not 
No, I'm I'm fine with covering it. If I'm sounding not excited, come back and watch me roast it. Cause next in the next two weeks we're gonna cover Twilight. It's fucking happening. Yeah, I'll be back for that. I'm currently making my way through the book. I'm not gonna let you know any thoughts on it whatsoever. But I am having a time. <laughs> having a time is a word for it. So listen, if you're a diehard Twilight fan, you can still come around. Maybe maybe. You'll hate me after that, but you should still come around. We're going to have a fun discussion. I'm going to give it a fair reread. It's been a long time since I've done it, so we'll see my, my, you know, how I feel. And even if you're not a diehard Twilight fan, if you are the opposite of a diehard Twilight fan, come along. Chances are you'll find out what Andrea really thinks. <laughs> but yeah, on that note, thank you, as always. For joining us thank you james for You're being very here for being an awesome co-host until then till next time read a fucking book maybe it's twilight maybe it's not either way come back and watch you get roasted goodbye so, yeah. let me ask you something why don't people trust their instincts they sense something is wrong, someone is walking too close behind them. You knew something was wrong. But you came back into the house. Did I force you? Did I drag you in? No. All I had to do was offer you a drink. It's hard to believe that fear of offending can be stronger than the fear of pain, but you know what? It is. And they always come willingly. And then they sit there. They know it's all over, just like you do. But somehow, they still think they have a chance. Maybe if I say the right thing. Maybe if I'm polite. If I cry, if I beg. And when I see the hope draining from their face like it is from yours right now, I can feel myself getting hard. But you know, we're not that different, you and I. We both have urges. A satisfying mind requires more towels.